0: Hi, I'm Amanda and it is what it is. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to It Is What It Is. We have a guest with me today and I'm really excited to introduce her. I found her on TikTok several months ago. I've been a big fan of her content and I finally worked up the courage to reach out and ask her to join me for an episode. So without further delay, I'm thrilled to introduce Cami Orange. Kami Orange is a fat, queer, autistic, white, cis woman. She was raised in a small cult subset of Mormonism in Utah by religious extremists and leaving home at the age of 18. She has an eclectic background, to say the least. (laughs) Having been everything from a psychic medium to a business consultant, Cammie has learned through doing how to set kind but direct boundaries as she moved 27 times to the United States. After years of getting boundary scripting requests from friends and then friends of friends and then friends of friends of friends, she became a boundary coach in February of 2020. Almost two years later, she has 250,000 followers on TikTok at Kami underscore orange, clients in eight countries, and a book on the way. You can check her out, check out her top 40 boundary phrase flashcards at CamiOrange.com for only $10. So welcome, Cami. Thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: Thank you so much, Amanda, for that lovely intro. I am really excited to be here.
0: Um, and I wanted, I also wanted to share with you, this just popped into my brain. Um, as you know, I just got this new job. and in the hiring process, my um, I guess my soon to be boss actually asked me what about my zodiac signs <laughs> you and I oh when we, had, yeah, when we had our <laughs> conversation about uh, doing this episode, that's, you know, we talked about astrology for several minutes. Mm-hmm. So I just it was just sort of a it was funny and it was uh, a little validating. but, he even went after the fact and looked up things about Aries, and he was like, "Yeah, I, I really feel good about this." So I just love that Aww. that was the consideration. I love that so much. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So for people listening, if you've been around for a while, you know that I did a solo episode on boundaries almost a year ago now, and that episode was grounded in my own experiences learning how to set boundaries as well as a little bit of research, but uh, I've grown a lot since then. I've changed a lot since then. And I thought that bringing in a a boundary expert would be a great follow-up to that. But before we get into that, I'm gonna do a book poll. And I felt called to pull from the warrior goddess wisdom. So let's see. All right, so it starts off with a quote. Growth is painful, change is painful, but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. That's a quote from Mandy Hale. Change is inevitable and constant, and fighting against the inevitable ways always leads to suffering. The next time you're faced with a life change, rather than resisting, embrace the change and move through it consciously. This doesn't mean you want the change or that you prefer it, but rather that you understand it's coming whether you like it or not, and you make a decision to pull yourself into alignment with life. In this way, you won't stay stuck in a rut, and the pain of change and growth will eat will ease because you tackle it on your own terms and in your own way, armed with the knowledge that it only hurts as much as you allow it to. And then this book comes with either like a mantra or an action, and this one has an action. Think about an area of your life where you are resisting change. Maybe it's making a change in your career, planning a move to a new home or changing a relationship that isn't serving you. What's the first step you can take to embrace this change instead of resisting it? I like that.
1: I love that. That's beautiful. It feels very like be the change that you wish to see. And I think that's beautiful. Mm-hmm.
0: And I heard something the other day. I can't now I can't remember where I heard it, but sometimes um becoming who you want to be means doing things that you don't want to do. And mm. I think there's a difference between those hard no, this is not for me. I don't want to do that. But um sort of getting out of that comfort zone of the way that you've done things to get yourself into a different place and sometimes you don't want to do those things I I don't want to do those things a lot of the time so um all right so let's let's start off with um you know when we talked about doing this episode I told you that this is a a podcast rooted in storytelling and your intro uh, gave a very nice snapshot of your story but I'd love if you would Get into some of that a little more, whatever you feel comfortable sharing or feel called to share, um, just to hear a little bit more about you.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. So like my intro says, I have a really eclectic background and recently as my life has continued to shift, people are like, so where did you go to school? Like, how did you learn this? And I was like, I learned it by doing. I learned it by making mistakes. I learned it by, you know, having lots and lots of life adventures. And for some people that is valid, you know, the, the school of life and other people they're like, Oh no, if you didn't get, you know, a degree from someone else, it's not valid. And I do my best to be very clear about my eclectic background because What I have to say may not be a fit for some people because they don't like my qualifications. And that's just fine. So that's the precursor to saying, yes, I am a retired psychic medium. That was one of my first um, career paths that I went on. And one of the things that I noticed is that people have really terrible boundaries with the dead. Like, they're like, oh, just because this person is dead, I have to obey them. Even if it's not like a dead family member, it's just someone who has died and is on the other side. And they're like, oh, but they told me what to do and I have to do it. And I was like, would you take life advice from your neighbor? Who's just like random Joe down the road? No. So why are you doing what this dead person tells you to do? Like, this is not okay. And so I was like, huh, that's weird. And so I was there to show up and help people connect to the other side, but the questions I kept getting were about boundaries mm-hmm. and then flash forward a couple of years, um, I was working as a wardrobe mentor. So I owned a clothing retail company and I also helped people set up their closets as a vision board of their life. And hmm. I was there to help them, you know, figure out what is this life that they want to create? And what is the clothing they need, the systems of clothing they need to support that, And so it's a little bit fashion, a little bit energy work, very woo woo. And I'm excited to have those conversations and people are like, so my mother keeps buying me clothing and I want to tell her no, but I can't, or my husband doesn't like the way I dress, but I don't know what to say. Or, you know, my child keeps taking my clothes and ruining them and then not bringing them back. And I'm upset about it, but I don't want to stifle their creativity. And I was like, Oh people have really terrible boundaries like with their families around clothing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I'm there to talk about clothing, you know, like let's talk through why you have 127 white t-shirts. True, true story from a client. (laughs) I counted. I was like, I've never seen so many white t-shirts in someone's closet in my life. Um, But like her concern was, you know, what is, you know, my husband doesn't like the way I dress and I need to set a boundary. And Mm -hmm. so I kept attracting people who I wanted boundary support. And I just thought that was interesting. And then flashboard, you know, time later, I worked as a business consultant. And so I'm like, okay, let's talk about your website. You know, let's talk about getting your um, SMS messaging set up on automatic. So where you text a little code and then it emails back a coupon, like all of that, that was my, my specialty is helping people who speak at events and stuff, get their websites and all of that set up. And I'm so excited to talk about that. And then people are like, okay, so I have this client that keeps texting me after hours and I'm really annoyed. What do I do? Or I, you know, have this vendor I wanted to work with, but now this, this, and this happened and I need to fire them, but they're actually my brother-in-law. What do I do? And I was like, oh, I was here to talk about your business, but apparently we're going to talk about the entries. And so that was like a, huh? Fascinating. I'm starting to notice a pattern in my mm. life. <laughs> and I have also, um, So I'm autistic and one of my autistic special interests is sex and I do something called orgasm charting for myself. Like I keep track of all of my orgasms, like how strong it was on a scale of one to 10. I make spreadsheets. I have rankings for all my partners. Like it sounds either amazing or horrible depending on your perspective. And so I've taught like orgasm tracking, orgasm education classes And I'm excited to talk about arousal non-concordance and like fat friendly sex toys and like all of these things. And people are like, so I don't actually want to go down on my partner, but they said they'll break up with me if I don't, what do I do? How do I handle that? Or Mm. my mother said, we can't like have sex in her house when we're sleeping over for the holidays, but we'll be there for two weeks. How do I tell her that that's unrealistic? And I was like, oh, this is more boundary stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but the one that clinched it, the one that clinched it is I was working as a spiritual teacher. And so I was certifying and training other people in how to communicate with the other side, how to communicate with what I call your entourage, which are like your angels, animals, ancestors, higher beings, um, spirits, whatever that walk around with you all the time. And everybody has a different combo and, I'm, you know, there to teach them this skill set of like, how do you commune with the trees or whatever? And people had boundary questions. They wanted Mm -hmm. to know, you know, how do I ask for consent before doing energy work on someone? How do I, you know, can I do energy work on my husband, even though he said he didn't want me to like, and I was like, oh, boundaries. And so when I closed my spiritual teacher business at the end of 2019, and I took a couple of months off to be like, all right, what am I doing? And I sat down with the universe and I was like, as a psychic medium, people came to me for boundaries. As a wardrobe mentor, people came to me for boundaries. As a business consultant, people came to me for boundaries. As an orgasm educator, people came to me for boundaries. As a spiritual teacher, people came to me for boundaries. Maybe I should be a boundary coach. (laughs) (laughs) there seems to be a theme here. (laughs) And so I became a boundary coach in the beginning of 2020. And now almost two years later, here we are.
0: Wow. What a truly fascinating and unique just twists and turns that that took to get you to where you are. Um, that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and I love the way that you told that story because one of my questions was going to be sort of how, you know, was it psychic medium to uh, what was it? A business consultant to boundary coach, mm-hmm. but you, you filled in all the gaps and that was going to be one of my questions. It's so great. Um, I can't imagine that your upbringing left much room for self-expression, self-actualization, certainly not anything woo woo. So what, what was it like for you to, to, to break away from that? And, um, you know, what sort of internal barriers and, and programming did you come up against as you were becoming who you are now?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. So I was raised in like a smaller group of people who believe in the Book of Mormon and the Bible, like as books of scripture, um, they believe in prophecy, Um, they believe that Jesus is coming back literally any day and we need to be as perfect as possible to be ready for that moment. So very, um, obsessed with the end of the world every day over dinner, like, you know, how we're talking about, like, Jesus might come back today. So like, (laughs) are you ready?
0: Mm. And
1: there was, um, a lot of harm that happened in that environment because I was taught that like women shouldn't ever say no to men because men have like a special power from God that grants them the ability to make good decisions. And so like, you should just do what men say because like they know better. Um, Mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of harm that happened because of that Mm -hmm. and coming, like growing up in a cult, people who don't have any cult in their background, which I would not wish on anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's, People are like, well, I grew up religious, and I'm like, yes, growing up in a, in an intense religious environment is a lot. The difference between just like religious and like a cult is cults are so encompassing. And so I was taught uh, what to think, what to laugh at, what to wear, how to sit, how to smile. Uh, you know, everything from head to toe and how I showed up. You know, what to say yes to, what to say no to and the secret was you say yes to everything and say no to nothing. And it, um, it was a really, it's a really intense environment. And so to, I moved out at 17 and moved hundreds of miles away and, you know, been on a journey ever since trying to, uh, heal from that. Thankfully I've been through a lot of therapy, um, like a lot, a lot <laughs> of therapy <laughs> and the biggest barrier for me, the first big piece was like, oh, I'm going to say no. Like I'm going to start saying no to people who are crossing my boundaries. And a big, big shift happened several years ago when, so I've been divorced for mm, probably like seven years now. And the reason I had originally married my husband at the time was he was the very first person I had ever dated that I said, please do not kiss me until I tell you that I want you to. And he said, okay. And then he did not And I was like, Oh, this is Prince Charming. This is amazing. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, this mm-hmm. is a rare diamond. And I am going to marry this person. Um, and it made me feel safe with him. And I fell in love with him because of that. So, cause nobody, I'd never had a partner who had respected those boundaries before. I'd say, you know, please don't do this or that until I say I'm okay with it. And they would say, okay, but then they would do it anyway. And so I kept waiting when I was dating him that I was like, when is he going to cross this line? Cause they always do. And it's just a question of when, but he never did until mm-hmm. I said I was okay with it. And that was a huge, huge shift. So, you know, that's over 10 years ago now, but now I'm like, well, oh, that's like bare minimum basement level boundaries here. Like <laughs> if I say, don't touch me and you touch me anyway, we're not speaking anymore. Like. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out. That is, Mm -hmm. that is not okay. And so learning to say no, um, the analogy that I like is like, what was once the ceiling is now the floor. So like, Mm. what was once the greatest thing that I was like, Oh wow, he's special and magical because he's respecting this boundary. Like that was the pinnacle, the height, the, the thing I had, I didn't think was even possible. Now I'm like, uh, no, that's bare minimum. Like, (laughs) and so I think the, the coming from a cult background, um, there are so many extremes and it Mm -hmm. just sets you up to have a really skewed expectation of what's normal and what's Mm -hmm. okay. And so I had to do a lot of work to be like, Oh wait, that's not okay. And the number of stories I could tell you about times that I thought something was okay. And that people are like, that is like really messed up that that happened. Like,
0: really? Mm. We're not
1: supposed to get in Cars with Strangers? Like, but they introduced themselves, <laughs> so they're not a stranger anymore. Like, I just, I am really grateful that I am alive and that I have survived all of my experiences because uh, it's it's been a journey for sure.
0: Wow. Um, I think that... That is a good transition into my next question of um let's talk about some of the feelings that come up when you especially when you first start to set boundaries and it's not something that you're used to and the guilt and the shame and and um yeah just some of those emotions that come up and and how to navigate those feelings as they come up
1: yeah i have a dear friend who is a childbirth educator and we were talking once and she said there is when you're like in labor and when a pregnant person is like pushing out a baby um people who are unfamiliar with that process they often confuse pain with pressure and they say oh it hurts it hurts it says okay but is it pain which is usually like sharp and it's tearing or damaging or like something has gone wrong or is it pressure immense pressure you have never experienced before And those are different. And that's why people who have, um, I come from a community in Utah where people have lots of children. Like, it's just like a thing here. And there's a lot of people here who have children at home. Like that's also a thing. And so I know people personally who've had like six, seven, eight children at home, um, because they know their bodies. They know, like the, what is a sign of something is okay and something is not okay because it can tell the difference between the pain and the pressure. Pressure is fine. Pain is a big red flag that you need to get some like medical intervention. And so I, as I set boundaries, I always think of that like, okay, is this pain or is this pressure? Like, is this discomfort because what I'm doing is unfamiliar and new? And I've never traversed these waters before, or is this pain because like, I've gone too far, I've hurt myself. Like I'm hurting other people. Like what, what is happening here? And so it does take practice to be able to differentiate that. And I'm like, okay, if I feel sad that like I set a boundary and somebody's like, Oh, I don't want to be your friend. If you set that boundary, like, is that pain? Like, am I, did I go too far? Was that an okay thing to do or not? Or was that pressure? Like, yeah, this is discomfort. This is unfamiliar. And I'm doing it anyway, because I know this is right. And for me, I believe in sitting with my feelings and taking the time to just be like, all right, self, (laughs) what is this? (laughs) What are we feeling? Where's this coming from? And I use a lot of, um, internal family systems, like parts type language mm. where I'm like, Oh, part of me really misses that friend. Part of me mm. really misses that friend. Um, I'll give you a real example. So I set a boundary with a friend. My, one of my personal boundaries is, um, cause I know a lot of intuitive people, right? Like that's the world I've lived in. And so I'm like, Hey, I love that you're intuitive. I love that, you know, things, um, I need you to ask me before sharing any like intuitive messages or downloads or anything you might have gotten from the universe or angels or guides that have to do with me. Um, and just check in. Just say, like, hey Kami, like I got a message from the universe, you know, that mentions you. Like, are you in headspace for that today? May I share that with you? And I set that boundary with this friend because Um, that's a little bit of a, like a triggering thing for me because of my cult childhood, where I grew up in a religion that was all about prophecy. And it's like, oh, like, I know that you wanted to say no to this, but like, I got revelation from God that you have to say yes. And so now you don't have a choice. And so for me, it's not just like polite to ask consent before giving people messages. It's required. Like it is non-negotiable. We always, always, always ask before being like, oh, hey, Your dead grandma said something to me. May I share a message with you? Like you got to always ask. And so set that boundary with this friend and she did not take it well. Um, She thought I was saying that I was better at intuitive stuff than her. And I did not want her opinion. She got really offended and we've never spoken since. Mm. And we were the level of friends that we spoke every day, like for years, like we were really close and for whatever reason, um, knowing her, knowing her life history, I think I probably accidentally pushed some button that had to do with her own past. Mm. And so, like, she had triggered me, I had triggered her, and like, we just couldn't resolve it. And so, it was really sad. And so, the parts language is like, part of me really misses that friend. Mm. And part of me is really proud that I stood up for myself. And part of me, is annoyed that I had to stand up for myself because that should be obvious. And all of those <laughs> feelings are valid. And so to anybody listening to this, who's like, "Oh, when I set boundaries, I feel guilty. Or when I set boundaries, I feel shame, or I'm, I'm scared I'm gonna upset people. I invite you to get a little quiet and get a little curious and say, okay, part of me is feeling guilty about setting boundaries. And then you can ask questions like, what part? Is it an inner child, younger part of yourself? Is it like you're, you're worried about something like where, be more curious, uh, take a little bit more time. Cause when we say, Oh, I feel guilty when I set boundaries, then it's like, Oh, that's, that's very big. And it's Mm. like, almost like you've stepped into a room of guilt and you're like, Oh, I'm in the guilt room now. Versus when you say part of me feels guilty. It's like, you're holding the guilt in your hands. You're like, yes, this part. And Mm. I can be tender and I can be compassionate and I can be curious and say, Hey, why do I feel guilty? Where is this coming from, or what do I feel sad, or what whatever the feelings are?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, touches on a really. I'm, I'm sure people who listen may be sick of me saying this by now, but one of the the biggest takeaways um, from my my last therapist, you know, more than one thing can be true at one time, and that doesn't mean that either thing is wrong. So you can, you know, in that scenario that you just shared, you can feel sad that you've lost a friend. And, and you can be proud that you stood up for yourself. And that, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's they're both anything that you're feeling about that situation is valid. But I, I think sometimes with uh, conflicting feelings like that, um, like guilt, especially is, is, has been so strong for me. Um, I think when those conflicting thoughts come up, people feel like they have to pick um, Mm. pick a, pick a stance, pick a side, and you don't have to, you can, you can be sad about losing a friend and you can be proud that you stuck up for yourself. Um, so do
1: you mind me asking about what do you, when you say guilt comes up for you a lot, you mean like when setting boundaries or just like in general?
0: Um, both, but definitely, um, as I, as I've set boundaries and, and maintained my boundaries and restated my boundaries, there has been guilt. Um, I think, especially with family members, when you set boundaries, it's, uh, you feel like you're doing something wrong.
1: Tell me more about that. Why do you feel like, why does part of you feel like you're doing something wrong?
0: Because I think that along the way I learned, um, to suppress what I needed to suppress what I was feeling. I, like, I can give an example from my own life that actually just happened yesterday. I've been dealing, it's a very long story, but the short version is when I moved out of my apartment, um, the management in that apartment, it just, there were so many people coming and going. I don't think they even knew what was going on on any given day. And I'm in a situation right now where I'm trying to advocate for myself and um, get my deposit back because I know my apartment was in good shape and get back portion of rent that was paid for a time that I did not live there. And so they've been sort of ping-ponging me around. And I uh, had a moment yesterday where there was a part of me that was feeling like, why won't anyone listen to me? And I know Mm -hmm. that that's a young part of me. And then I started to sort of get into the spiral of, am I making, is this really the big deal that I'm making it out to be? Am I being dramatic? And I've, I'm in a place now where luckily I can stop that before it escalates and ruins my whole day. But Um, in the past that that would ruin my whole day I would go down that path and just be in that space of thinking that for the the day if not several days so um, I guess there's this part of me that feels like advocating for myself or um, asking for something to be made right that is wrong or even just pointing out something that is wrong is bad and then Mm -hmm. a lot of times for me this thing is bad that I'm doing also translates to I am bad. Um, Mm -hmm. So does that answer your question?
1: (laughs) That does. That does. I had a client who um, kind of similar feelings around boundary setting. And for her, it was stemmed from in her family growing up, she was raised by parents who didn't have enough support there wasn't Mm -hmm. enough community care, there wasn't enough social support, they didn't live near family. And so um, I really believe in this model of like, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And so if there's many children and very few adults in this village, like Mm -hmm. children have endless needs and that's okay. That's normal. Mm -hmm. And as they grow to be able to meet their own needs in certain ways, um, they need attention, they need care they need they need food, they need whatever, but sometimes the adults involved have met their limit for that day like they have give their their cup is empty, they have given all that they can give, and the children still need more and we 're not designed as humans to raise children this way it 's very bizarre it 's like unprecedented in human history, which we could talk about some other day but This idea of like, there's these adults, specifically her mother, who was like, I've given all I can give and you still need more. And so instead of the mother being like, I deserve more, I deserve more community care, I deserve more social support, it's not okay that I don't have family here to support me. The blame went to you child asking for more are a problem. Mm. Like you are a problem for having needs right now because I have given all I can give and you still need things, it would make my life better if you stopped needing things. And so there was all this guilt and shame around like, existing and having needs. But the child did nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having needs. And so in situations of like self advocacy, it's like, oh, you're inconveniencing people like you're causing a problem by having needs and showing up and like, pointing out that like, hey, (laughs) this wasn't handled. This wasn't taken care of. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a button for a lot of people of like, oh, they were raised by caregivers who weren't supported enough. And nobody was aware enough to say, oh, it's not the child's fault for having needs. So the adults blame the children when really it's like they deserved community care. They deserved social support. They deserved um, a village and they didn't get it. And so now people feel weird about asking for their deposit back, which is their money, <laughs> mm-hmm. which you absolutely deserve.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, uh, that for me, that sort of this thing I'm doing is bad or feels bad to, I am bad. That sort of pipeline, (laughs) um, led me to a place where I thought it was best for me to stop having needs. Mm. And that certainly carried on into my adult relationships and, um, took me, I mean, I'm still unpacking it, but it's taken me a while to unpack all of that. And, um, yeah, I had, I had no, I had no awareness of boundaries, uh, until a few years ago, I didn't really know that that was not just something that I could do or should do. Um, but just how necessary they are and how important they are. Um, Mm -hmm. and how, um, think a lot of times setting boundaries is is viewed as a, a selflet, selfish thing, but I think it's actually a selfless thing um, to sort of set up these parameters and um, I totally lost my thought.
1: <laughs> Can I speak to that, Amanda?
0: Yes, please, please. <laughs>
1: I believe that setting boundaries is the most kind thing that I can do. And one of my original big motivations for starting to learn boundaries in my life was because I've been through so much trauma. And I know that once someone breaks my trust, I don't have a lot of practice rebuilding that and being able to forgive and being okay. And that's something I'm working on. I'm in therapy for all of that. And so I love the people in my life, like the people that are close to me so much that i'm not willing to risk mm. like breaking that relationship by not communicating my needs and setting them up to fail and then they fail and then i don't know how to recover from that and come back and rebuild trust and make sure that we're okay and i recognize that that's a me issue like i want to be that person i want to be able to rebuild that and i've recently gotten some opportunities to practice and so far it's going okay um but like i just know that about myself and so like if you and i are friends and something, you know, I don't tell you I have this really strong boundary around, uh, oh gosh, like not giving intuitive insight without asking consent first. And you keep doing that. I'm going to be over here like resenting you, being mad. I'm going to start avoiding you. Like it's going to poison our relationship because I set you up to fail and you failed because you don't know. Like most people are good. Mm -hmm. Most people are lovely. Most people are not like, do you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go out and hurt people. Like (laughs) no. most people are not motivated with that. And so, especially in a friendship, you want to do things that are supportive and loving. And I want to do things that are supportive and loving. And if you don't know that this thing that you're inadvertently doing is really upsetting me to the point that I'm going to resent you, start avoiding you, stop talking to you. And then you're like, what happened to Cami? Like she ghosted, she blocked me on Facebook and I don't even know what I did. Like, (laughs) that's a problem. And that's how a lot of people handle conflict because they're like, well, I just don't know what to say. And so they don't say anything. And I love my friends. I love my family, the people I'm close with um, so much that I'm not willing to risk that. And Mm -hmm. so if something is a two out of 10 issue where I'm like, Oh, Hey, I know you didn't know that, but could you please not? Or if you need to do that for whatever reason, let's have a collaborative conversation about meeting each other's needs. Um, So like, I like being able to call people. I love to talk on phone. I have a friend who like sudden random phone calls sets off their CPTSD. And Mm. so like, if I want to talk to them on the phone, the boundary, the communication has been, I text them and say, hey, are you in a good space for a phone call? I have other friends. I can just call. That's okay. Mm. It's okay that that's a boundary. Um, and there's, uh, like, even if our, my needs are being met, their needs are being met. But if I just called them all the time and then mm. they never told me that they weren't okay, I would feel terrible knowing that they're going into like a, a trauma episode or whatever, because they didn't tell me that they don't like sudden phone calls. Cause that's an easy fix. I'll just text them and be like, Hey, are you in a space for a phone call? But people don't do it. <laughs> people don't do it. And then there's problems. So I believe boundaries are kind. I believe boundaries are loving. And I believe boundaries in my experience are accommodated by most people.
0: Mm. Well, and that, I feel like in that situation you just mentioned, if uh, if you're calling this person who, who not just doesn't like being called, but um, actually triggers a response for them, if they do happen to answer when you call, then you, you might sort of get the vibe of like, my friend seems off.
1: Mm-hmm. Did I do
0: something? And, and all of these things can sort of be avoided by just having a conversation about it. And what I found for me is it it felt like setting the boundaries and, um, navigating those feelings that came up when I did what, once I sort of got over that hump and realized, like, like you said, they're accommodated by most people. This is this makes yeah. my relationships and my life better by just saying what i need asking for what i need um because again just like you said if if you're not communicating and that other person keeps doing that thing that you don't like then it's resentment and it's just things just fall apart so quickly so um yeah, yeah i don't i don't really know what that sort of hump is once you're like oh for me it just really felt like all of a sudden i was like this Why wasn't I doing this the whole time? This really setting boundaries and and communicating what I need to the people in my life is, it just makes things so much better. I can tell you what the hump is. Do you want to know? I do. Yeah. (laughs) So...
1: (laughs) People who don't come from boundary, uh, like healthy boundary setting backgrounds, the only experience they have with being like, hey, that's not okay, is when something has reached like a 10 out of 10, this is Mm. a problem, all alarms blaring, like, we're gonna break up, never speak again, burn their shit on the lawn, like (laughs) level. And so when I say, oh, boundaries are kind, they're like, no, they're not, because their Mm. only experience is when emotions are high, tension is high, because they've been taught to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, Mm. just try to, you know, stay quiet to get along or whatever, avoid the problem until it's such a big problem. They cannot avoid it anymore. And then everything explodes. So they Mm. swing from silence to an extreme and in between silence and extreme, we have indirect communication and direct communication. Mm. And so Indirect would be like, if I go in for a like a hug and you flinch, then I'm like, oh, she doesn't like hugs. not going to do that. Like that would be an indirect. Direct mm-hmm. would be like, oh, uh, may I hug you? And you say, no. I say, okay. And so the more you practice, you no longer are waiting. So the hump that you refer to is like, instead of waiting, swinging from silence to an extreme, waiting for a 10 out of 10 issue to say something, you start speaking mm-hmm. up when it's like a two out of 10. You know, maybe a four out of 10. And it's easy. It's gentle. Nobody's mad. It's very like, oh, hey, could you not? And they're like, oh, yeah, I won't. Done. Mm-hmm. Nobody's burning shit on anybody's lawn. Nobody is screaming. <laughs> nobody is throwing things. Like, nobody is breaking up. But if you don't have any practice with that, mm. you've only ever set boundaries. And so people are like, okay, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. And they're like, boss, could you not grab my shoulders when you come behind me to look over my desk? And in their mind, they're like, this is like an eight out of 10. They're really upset. They're really nervous. Their boss is like one out of 10. Like, oh yeah, I won't do that anymore. No big deal. And suddenly (laughs) you have this epiphany of like, oh, I thought this was like 10 out of 10 burn shit on the lawn level. And they like responded as if I asked them, you know, Hey, is there any ice cream left in the fridge? Nope. Okay, cool. Like no big deal. <laughs> right. But that's what the hump is, is like the mm. experience of like, oh, this does not have to be hard pressure, dramatic, big deal. Boundaries can just be really simple and basic and gentle most of the time. Yeah. Because you're speaking I love that. up at the beginning. You're not waiting right. so long.
0: Right. And then the other person isn't, you know, completely taken off, off guard by like, where, where is yeah. this coming from? Like, I've been doing this thing forever and it was never an yeah. issue. Yeah. yeah.
1: It causes problems. I know I've definitely got my feelings hurt over the years where like I had this roommate that we lived together for like four months and finally we were on our way somewhere and she pulled over the truck and she was driving and she's just like, I just have to tell you you are the most selfish person I have ever met in your, in my life. And she like went off and I was like flabbergasted, had no idea what she was talking about. No frame of reference turns out for the last four months, every time she's like, Oh, Hey, I'm getting pizza. Do you want some? I was supposed to magically intuit that I was supposed to say, thank you so much for offering. No, thank you
0: every mm. time.
1: And I'd say probably about half the time she's like, Oh, I'm getting pizza. Do, do you want some? If I wanted pizza, I would say yes. And if I didn't want pizza, I would say no, but probably about half the time I was eating her food. And in her mind, every single time I said, yes, I was like way overstepping her boundaries and really being awful. And I was so confused. Cause I was like, you literally asked me, I made cookies. Do you want some? And mm-hmm. if I did, I would say yes and take two. And then she's like, you're a horrible human for being so selfish and taking my cookies. And I was like, if you don't want to share your cookies, it's don't often. ask me if I want some, like we had just not communicated. And I no longer mm-hmm. felt safe, like having her as a roommate, because I was like, if you are secretly resenting me to the level that we like pulled over on the side of the road and you lost it and screamed at me for four months, I don't know if I can trust you with anything. Like, It broke our friendship. It broke our relationship. Previously, if you had asked me the day before, yeah, we get along great. I adore her. I think we're great roommates. Nope. The whole time she'd been hating my guts because apparently I'm super selfish. And (laughs) I was like, I did not know. Like, if you want me to do a ritual with you where you offer food and I say no every time, you've got to tell me. I did not pick up on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I can't imagine anyone would.
1: Well, and like Um, in her mind, every time I asked her if she wanted my food, she would always say no. So it should have been obvious that I'm supposed to say no. right. But I I was like, oh no, like I can see how she came to that conclusion. But like, I just figured she didn't ever like the things that I was eating. Mm -hmm. Like it did not realize. So it's, it, that's why people like, oh, boundaries are so hard. Boundaries are terrible because they're waiting so long that like everybody's upset and I'm right. blindsided and you're blindsided. Like, and it's like now there's really heightened drama versus right. like, oh hey, like I would prefer if you didn't eat my food, you know, like, oh, I don't actually want to share my food, but I feel obligated to offer it to you for XYZ reasons. So, you know, I know it might not make sense, but if I offer, will you just say no every time? Which that's to me, I still think that's a little odd, but like I would have been happy to do that. And like, cool. Everybody's got their quirks. I don't understand sugar on oatmeal. Like everybody can have their thing. That's fine.
0: <laughs> oh man. Oh man, so many roommate situations rolling around in my mind which that could have just totally been avoided if we just communicated with each other. Yep. Um So let's talk about when you set a boundary and someone has a negative reaction. Um mm-hmm. I think it's easy to say you're, you know, you're not responsible for how that person reacts. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to change your boundary because of how that person reacts, but, um, that can be really hard to, to deal with. So, um, what are, what are your thoughts on that? know I know ultimately sometimes it comes down to decision. Do I want to have a relationship with this person or not? But I, I feel like there's things, um, that can be considered for that, for pulling that yeah. trigger.
1: Absolutely. So I believe that values are the backbone of boundary setting. And so Mm. when we know what our values are, we make choices aligned with that. And so if I set a boundary with you, according to my values, and you don't like it, I'm not going to change what I decided because I'm living according to my values. If I set a boundary with you and you love it, I'm not going to change what I decided because I'm living according to my values. And different people have different values. And so, for example, my primary two values are safety and compassion. And so Mm -hmm. when I am setting a boundary, the thought process I'm having is, what is the safest option for me and for the other people involved? What is the most compassionate option for me and for everybody involved? And Mm -hmm. then no matter how the other person reacts... I know I did my best to show up in a safe way and to show up in a compassionate way. Mm. So my sister, who's one of my very best friends, um, her primary value is connection. And so we often set different, we have this conversation a lot, actually, we set different boundaries in different situations because there are boundaries that to me, I was like, oh, this keeps me safe. This keeps other people safe. This is how I'm handling it. That she's like, "Mm, if I did that, I feel like that would not be in alignment with my value of connection. I want to choose, um, you know, I'm going to do this or do that instead to maintain those connections. And she's made choices that I wouldn't make and vice versa. And ultimately, she's not wrong. Like she's doing her boundaries according to her values. I do my boundaries according to my values. And sometimes they go along beautifully. Um, There's a lot of overlap between safety and compassion and connection, but sometimes they don't. And the reason this matters is because I really believe that value-led living is the secret to happiness because I'm not making any of my life choices based on what anybody else wants me to do. I'm making it based on my values. And so when people say, oh, well, I just don't care what anybody thinks. I'm just going to do my thing. I always want to sit them down and ask them. I don't, but I'm tempted to be like, what do you value? Like, are you saying, oh, I do what I want? Do you mean like you're independent? Do you mean that you have freedom? Like, so you're making choices that make you feel free. You're making choices that make you feel independent. Like, what does that mean to you? Um, you know, that you're pursuing pleasure. What does that mean? I know someone that's their primary values are um, pleasure and freedom. They often make choices that are not the choices that I would make because mm-hmm. I don't feel like the way they're living their values is safe or compassionate. And so anytime I judge someone It's usually because they're doing something that doesn't match my values, but I recognize they don't have to, like they don't have to match my values. I think I'm right. (laughs) That's Mm. why I have the values that I have. But ultimately for setting boundaries, like what do you value and are you in alignment with those values, whether or not the other person is having a strong emotional reaction? Mm.
0: Yeah, that all comes back to you. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about before I get into my, uh, my rapid fire guest questions, um, (laughs) some of your videos start off with, you know, I collect boundary phrases and uh, I know that in the, um, we plugged your website in the beginning so that other people can access those and and the flashcards. But could you maybe share a couple of your favorites and, and maybe, uh, an example of, um, how you've used them or how someone could use them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I do collect boundary phrases. I have over 350 boundary phrases in my collection and I started collecting them because I think partially because I'm autistic and it's just an interest. Um, but I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Like people have different ways of expressing the same thing and they all have different nuances. And so I group my collection broadly in about 10 or 12 categories, depending on how you break it down. Um, and so a really popular one is in the like, I call it bodies, but it's like, don't comment on my body. I don't want to hug you if I don't want to. No, I'm not gonna shake your hand. Like, please don't touch me. Do not comment on my weight, like that, that collection. And Um, Anytime I make videos about those on TikTok, I get a lot of hate comments because people really, really struggle with this idea of bodily autonomy. And I think it's because they've never had bodily autonomy in their life. And so when I say, hey, this is something you deserve. This is something that everybody gets and they've never had that. It like pushes some inner child button. That's my interpretation anyway. They might just be being (laughs) shitty, but like my interpretation, my compassionate perspective is like. Mm-hmm. oh, that is so sad that they yeah. don't understand the value of bodily autonomy and feel entitled to touch other people. <laughs> <laughs> so I all the time use these types of phrases. Oh, Hey, may I hug you? Oh, you have something in your hair. May I get it out for you? Oh, your tag is sticking out. Can I, can I grab that for you? Uh, may I hold your hand? And what has been a fascinating journey is that some people feel super love, safe and supported when I ask things like that. And then there's been a small percentage of people who think that I'm being insecure. And that has Hmm. been really interesting. They're like, you you don't ever have to ask. You can just grab my hand. You don't ever have to ask. You can touch me whenever. And I I would not recommend this for anybody else, but I will be honest. What I usually say in those situations is like, so if I wanted to pick your nose for you, that would be Hmm. fine. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, if I don't ever have to ask how I touch you, like, can I just pick your nose, like stick my finger up your nose? And they're like, no, that's not okay. Like, oh, so you do have boundaries around this. Just asking for hugs, asking for holding hands isn't one of them. And because people are like, oh, no, it's totally fine. Is it? Is it? <laughs> um, Or it comes up like in bed with partners. And they're like, oh, I don't have boundaries in bed. It's fine. We can do whatever. I'm like, oh, like. So you're good if we like do anal play, like me on you. And then they're like, oh, hold up. What? No. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, actually maybe like, cause that's totally fine. Prostate orgasms are amazing, but this, they're like, oh, I do have a boundary here. I'm like, yeah, I know <laughs> everybody does. You just haven't bumped into where your edges are. Mm. So with collecting boundary phrases, I recognize that the way I phrase things may or may not be a fit for all people. And so the book that I'm working on writing, um, has direct and indirect phrases because some people are more comfortable with indirect. Some people are more comfortable with direct Mm -hmm. and I want people to have options and start building their own boundary vocabulary to say things in a way that's natural for them. Mm -hmm. So it's the difference between, I might say, oh, could you please scoot over? And I use the word scoot because I like that word. Oh, could you Mm -hmm. please scoot over? Thanks. Thanks. And someone commented on a video yesterday. Um, They're from England. And they say, say, shove off love. I would never personally say that because that would not be natural for me. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Mm -hmm. And like that means the same thing where they're from in their culture, in their vernacular. And so I collect boundary phrases because there's lots of different ways to say the same things. And I'm fascinated Mm -hmm. by the patterns and the main two categories are direct and indirect. Um, and most people have a preference. They kind of lean one way or the other. And it's really interesting to me.
0: So how do you keep track of these? Is there like a spreadsheet? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Spreadsheets are yeah. great.
1: I mean, you're talking to a former, like I chart my orgasms. You know right. that I like charts and, you know, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> Let's rank this on a scale of one to 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's incredible. Over, what you said, over 300?
1: 350. Yep. And I collect more every day. So I probably have more than that now, but I I have enough that I'm starting to just build in variations. Like they're similar, but slightly different as opposed to like completely unique phrases.
0: That's awesome. What an awesome tool to have. Um. Are you, are you ready for these rapid fire questions?
1: I would love it. Let's do it. (laughs) All
0: Right. So what number one is, what is the most difficult lesson you've had to learn, or you might still be learning on your healing journey?
1: Most difficult lesson I have to learn start was four years, 11 months. And I think I'm at like 12 days ago. Um, when my friend was like, Hey, you know, that most people eat like every three to four hours, like three to four times a day. Right. And no, I didn't like, Mm. no, I had no idea. And so one of the things that I am the very most proud of in my life, um, as part of recovering from all the trauma of my childhood is that I eat every day, multiple times a day. And I've been through a fuck ton of therapy to get there. Mm. And I'm very, very proud of that.
0: That's incredible um what has been the most helpful tool for you throughout this journey whether it's um like a book or some sort of healing modality or therapy or whatever
1: yeah i love mushrooms um i have a psychedelic therapist and i microdose mushrooms and i have like a nootropic mushroom tea that I drink. So it's not like has no psychedelic properties, but I like drink a drink a day. Um, so yeah, something about mushrooms, my brain is just like, oh, yes, this is helping you build and form the neural connections you need to change your brain.
0: Hmm. That's a whole other conversation I'd love to have. <laughs> <laughs> I might That's have to so come <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love it. um what is a message you feel called to share with your inner child today
1: message that I feel called to share with my inner child today so there's no such thing as too many fuzzy blankets there is no such thing as too much comfort there is no such thing as like too much pleasure too much play um too much fun like it's okay to lean all the way in to as Mm -hmm. much as I want I love
0: what is a message you feel called to share with a version of you that existed this time last year?
1: (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, This was the time last year that I was dating somebody that I was deeply in love with and we're not together. Like we broke up. Um, So we were dating like October through January of last so last year and then into January of this year and we're not together. And then he texted me yesterday, Amanda, to be like, congratulations. I saw you on BuzzFeed. And I'm like, Ugh. Uh. <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not going to show it on camera, but like, I, like I got a tattoo to memorialize that experience because it was so profound and it's okay to fall all the way in love even if it doesn't work out because like it brings more light, more joy, more beauty into the world. And to hold back from that in in fear of being hurt um, is not worth it. Like it's okay to fall in love even, even when it doesn't work out. So he's magical and amazing and it wasn't a fit. And I, um, yeah, I wish him all the best. I hope he's really happy because he's a really good guy. Mm. Part of me using parts language. Part of me will probably <laughs> always be in love with him, <laughs> mm. and that's okay. I'm at peace with that.
0: Mm. Beautiful messages. We got two more. Uh, number five is: What would you say to someone that's sort of at the beginning of their healing journey? They're feeling very lost. They're feeling very unsure. They want they want change, but like, mm-hmm. what do I even do? Where do I even start?
1: So I like to look at the things that make me mad, like as a starting point with clients, um, often when people have spent a lifetime suppressing their needs, suppressing their wants, you know, going out of their way to people, please, and show up for others. And they are just like, I just like, they know that they're ready for change, but they can't like crack it open. Um, finding the things that make you mad. Um, and they're like, nothing makes me mad. Nothing not a single thing, like not like at all. Okay. Like, so if it's not mad, like, what are the things that make you sad? Like find anywhere in your life. What are the things that bring you ecstatic joy? Like find somewhere that is an, is the strongest emotion you can access. You're like, Oh, this is the thing that brings me shame. This is like, it doesn't matter what the emotion is. It can be joy. It can be ecstasy. It can be Anger, but you're trying to find something intense and like follow that thread, Um, almost like you're unraveling something, but you need to find that intensity inside of yourself to start, uh, start this journey. Like it gives you, it puts your feet on the path and then you can keep going from there and find all the other pieces. But that first piece is wherever the intensity is like hiding in your life. And usually it's anger. I would say for about 60% of people, it's the thing that makes them mad. And then like, nah, maybe the next 25 to 30% is like the thing that makes them sad. And so if it's not mad, and it's not sad. Then I go the opposite direction and say, okay, what are the things that bring you calm or ecstasy or joy or pleasure or whatever it is and pursue that.
0: Hmm. I love that. Um, last question. This has been such a great conversation. I appreciate you so much. Where can people find you? How can they work with you? Yeah.
1: So I sell digital products online. So I have a printable set of flashcards that are available for $10. And it's 40 of my top favorite boundary phrases. And I also have my value led living audio course that also comes with a transcript if you like to read instead of listen and the prerequisite to working with me coaching with me one on one is the value led living audio course because i found it we can get a whole, so much work done in one session if they know what their values are if they don't know what their values are we spend like a whole session doing values and then we have to spend another session figuring out the boundary stuff they came to talk about and so i do offer one on one sessions but like you have to take the course first as the prerequisite and not everybody is willing to do that. That's okay. I'm, I'm very comfortable not working with everybody. And I really, really love connecting with people on TikTok and, you know, getting email testimonials of my work. And so my website, camiorange.com, um, you can access me there. Also, my TikTok uh, is underscore orange. Um, and I'm currently building up my Instagram and working on that as well. So if you're not on TikTok, you can find me on Instagram. We're, it's not as big yet, but we'll we'll get there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I will make sure that I put all of that information in the show notes. And thank you so much for hanging out with me today. This was so great. Um, shout out to Bess Walker for the cover art. Shout out to Doug Halliday for the music. And please, if you could, I would really appreciate a five-star review on Spotify or wherever you listen to this. And I will see you next time. Bye.